Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You know, it's hard to follow the people that I followed, um, talking about not only wonderful scholars who express themselves so well, but um, I'm going to talk about a period that's, that's a little bit less well-known in Franciscan history, in California mission history, and um, it's, it's, not, um, it's not always a fun topic. It's, it's how the missions and how the, the Franciscans who who uh, followed Sarah, you know, how they fared in, in, the, in the mid-19th century when sort of the mission era drew to a close. But um, I hope you enjoy it. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a time period that needs to be better understood. And I'm going to talk about it through a person, right? History has that word story in it. And so I'm going to talk about this particular period through the eyes and through the experiences of one missionary who, who happened to, who I happened to run across uh, in the archives in my town in San Jose and also in Santa Clara. And, um, and his story kind of fascinated me. And um, I think given what we talked about earlier about um, the, the Franciscans rule, the Franciscan rules primordial emphasis on mission, on being missionaries, and um, Junipero Serra's conception of himself as a missionary and what that meant. Uh, we're going to see a little bit what sort of the collapse of the mission system meant to these men who were, who came to California to be missionaries. So we're going to begin with a little quote. Father Real was one of the most genial and kindly of the missionaries. And he surprised all those who had thought that every one of the fathers was severe. He saw no harm in walking out among the young people and saying friendly things to them all. Probably a lot like uh, here at uh, Steubenville, right? He was often known to go with young men on moonlight rides, lassoing grizzly bears or chasing deer on the plain. His own horse, one of the best ever seen in the valley, and this is the Santa Clara Valley where we live. Sil Silicon Valley was originally known as the Santa Clara Valley, a beautiful, um, lush agricultural valley when there's not a drought. Uh, lassoing grizzly bears or chasing deer on the plain. His own horse, one of the best ever seen in the valley, was richly caparisoned, and the father wore a scarlet silk sash around his waist under the Franciscan habit. So this was one of... This was um, one of his contemporaries, years later, describing this man, this, this heir of Junipero Serra. Um, the friar described here as Father Real was Father Jose Maria del Refugio Sagrado Suarez del Real. People knew him as Father Real. Right? He was one of the Mexican Franciscans who took over um, some of the mission responsibilities in Northern California, Northern Alta California in 1833. And he, as well as his, the men of his cohort, had to deal with a very different situation than their Spanish predecessors, because they were Mexican-born Franciscans brought into the territory. By coming to Alta California, as they did, 
I'm going to pause it here, that their identity as Franciscans and as missionaries would be profoundly challenged in a way that their Spanish predecessors had not had to face. What I'm going to say here is that they would eventually find themselves to be um, on the margins of society in, in which their predecessors had arguably been the protagonists. And as I mentioned, I'm going to look through this through the eyes of Father Real's time in California. Like any human story, it's particular, it's unique, um, but it offers us a way to understand the general picture through the particular. And um, in particular, the general picture of the Mexican Franciscans who came to Alta California at the end of the mission era. So in order to do that, I'm going to go back to uh, 1820s Mexico. Did I go back or forward? There we go. In August of 18, while Mexico became independent from Spain officially and finally in in 1820, 1821, in August of 1829, um, excuse me, sorry. (laughs) Um, uh, In August, excuse me, in post-revolutionary Mexico, in post-independence Mexico, In 1827 and in 1829, there was a very heavy anti-Spanish feeling, as you can imagine. And the Mexican federal government made an expulsion decree. Almost all Spaniards residing in the Republic, people born in Spain, were required to leave Mexico. So that included religious as well as lay uh, Spaniards, right? in the, the sparsely populated northern region and the frontier in Alta and Baja California, that was a little bit harder to accomplish because, first of all, the Franciscan missionaries there, who were practically the only clergy, were almost all Spaniards, if not all of them. And so in or, full enforcement of this decree would have been very difficult, uh, if not impossible. The fact that this would have left the the area almost completely without priests, um, combined with the local population's resistance, encouraged many of the Franciscans who were there, the Spanish Franciscans, to defy or ignore um, the order. And in fact, in 1829, the the Mexican governor of California wrote to the central government uh, in Mexico saying that no such expulsion was practical. His proposal was that other missionaries be sent from Mexico to take the place of the Spanish friars. And the government of Mexico agreed, and um, they chose the Apostolic College of Our Lady of Guadalupe of Zacatecas to supply those friars who were going to uh, supplant the Spanish ones who left. This institution, which had also taken over a lot of the Jesuit missions um, after their expulsion, in 1767 was one of the few colleges, the the missionary colleges, to have mainly Mexican native-born friars in their their population. And so they were one of the few ones that were able to supply young priests to the missions in Texas and Alta California. In fact, this this college was older than the one of San Fernando where uh, Sarah had been and trained. And it was also known for being very rigorous in its uh, application and adherence to the Franciscan rule. So in 1831 or 32, we don't know exactly when, we know when they arrived, um, nine Franciscan friars, Mexican Franciscan friars from Zacatecas, 
um, left for California. And they went to the state of Sinaloa, to Tepic, where they would be um, taken to the ship to take that journey up the coast to Alta California. Among them were Francisco Garcia, Diego y Moreno, who would later be made the bishop of both Californias, Alta and Baja California, and our friend Jose Suarez de Real and his brother Antonio. Uh, these men, who most likely envisioned themselves ministering to the native Indian population, like their Spanish predecessors, were waiting to board a ship there hired by the newly appointed governor of Alta California, Jose Figueroa. I'm going to talk about him a little bit later. He was the third governor of this Mexican province sent in just two years, and he was instructed to continue the government's plan to restructure the missions, which, was, uh, which had come to be known as secularization. So secularization had been a goal of the Spanish government prior to uh, Mexican independence. The idea is, uh, was that missions weren't supposed to remain missions forever, right? Eventually they were supposed to become towns, native towns, right? Um, the mission lands, which while it was a mission, were in the hands and under the, the jurisdiction uh, of the Padres was supposed to go back to the Indians, right? And um, so, in fact, by 1831, this governor of California, Echeandia, uh, Jose Maria de Echeandia, the one who was writing about the expulsion, had already made a decree to have the mission secularized in California. Um, it was felt that 10 years should have been long enough for the natives to adapt to uh, Hispanic lifestyle. The Padres had been very resistant, but the government felt that it's, it's now time to do this, to, to dissolve the missions. But his order hadn't been fully implemented. It had, it had uh, been implemented on an experimental basis in some missions in California. The major opponent of the decree was the father president of the California missions, uh, Narciso Duran. And one of his major protests was that the mission holdings wouldn't, under the Echandia plan, wouldn't go back to the Indians, but they'd go to civil administrators, uh, government officials who would deal with them, dispose of them. So this resistance caused the secularization plan to be slowed down, but Figueroa, who was sent to replace the, uh, Governor Echandia, he was under specific orders to make it happen. So this trip that they made was fraught with difficulty. Uh, when the ship made landfall at Cabo San Lucas in Baja, California, um, there had been bad weather, there had been mutiny, and um, the two Real brothers, Jose and Antonio, decided to make the trip up to Alta California uh, overland, right? But the, rest of the, um, but the rest of the passengers continued on. They all arrived in Northern California at the beginning of 1833, right, these nine men. And there was a tenth who had come earlier. Father Real's initial assignment was to Mission San Carlos Borromeo in Carmel, which uh, on the central coast of California, which had been Sarah's headquarters. Now there's a picture that depicts um, the mission around 1839, so a few years after Real arrived there. Um, you can probably see that some of the, the, the roof tiles are missing, etc. 
years of war and revolution uh, in the Mexican Republic had not favored the missions. Um, and this mission in particular had already started to deteriorate. The adobe, as you know, is not a very long-lasting material if it's not taken care of. And so it can dissolve unless it's, it's continually repaired and, and covered, right? And the mission's own building materials, like the roof tiles, had, were starting to be taken away to build other buildings. For example, um, in 1835, the Monterey Town Hall was built using a lot of materials from the Carmel Mission. So in addition to taking over a mission complex that had fallen into disrepair, Father Real would also have to deal with the government administrator who had been appointed um, to handle the secularization of that mission. Governor Figueroa had made the decree in November of 1834, and so the mission property would eventually have to be cataloged and sold to third parties. And so in December of 1834, about a year after he arrived, Father Real, well, almost two years, Father Real found himself drawing up an inventory with the government administrator, uh, 39 pages of mission property, supplies, and livestock, and together with an appraisal of their total value. Now, none of the proceeds of the sale of all this mission um, material would wind up supporting the missionaries themselves. Um, in fact, they were sort of left without any means of support. The Pious Fund, which was the fund that the government of Spain had set up to support the Jesuit missionaries originally, um, and then had later supported the Franciscan missions when they had to get off the ground uh, before they could be self-supporting, this fund had, had stopped being sent to California by the Mexican uh, government after independence because the Mexican government was without much money itself. And the local population, the, the settlers, the Hispanic population, they weren't used to the idea of, of tithing uh, to the missions because the missions themselves had been uh, centers, uh, economic centers. And so the missions had af actually supported the soldiers, the presidios, etc. in many cases. So basically there was no income for somebody like Real. Now, in 1835, uh, Bishop Garcia Diego wrote two exasperated letters to Governor Figueroa regarding the material conditions of the friars who had come to California. He said, quote, the ministers of religion should be respected by men and they should have the means to subsist and to conduct divine worship. And if the faithful don't provide this, to which end they're bound, we cannot be held responsible for the spiritual tasks to which we are bound, unquote. So if the local Hispanic population wasn't providing any support to the missionaries, um, much less were the Indians whose labor had built the missions. For although secularization was meant to benefit uh, the Indian population by emancipating them from mission control, um, in practice they were really left disenfranchised, right? Their lands were held in trust by an administrator and often sold to local settlers. So. Far from being transformed into functioning, tithing parishes, um, as the, the plans were conceived, the mission population, mission converts, oftentimes abandoned the mission lands and took jobs on farms and ranchos, using the skills that they had learned um, in the missions, for example, uh, becoming uh, cowhands or blacksmiths or tanners or 
or what have you, or sometimes moving back to the interior and, and living, reverting back to um, a, a pre-colonization lifestyle. So um, this was a very different situation than, than the friars expected to find when they came to California as missionaries. They found themselves in a position of being caretakers of ruined buildings, and the population that they were meant to serve wasn't there for the most part. Well, he, the interesting thing was, and this comes back to what we talked about in the earlier talks, they still felt a duty, they, they felt a responsibility toward the indigenous population. And already in 1834, we see Father Real writing letters on behalf of the natives of the area, the Rumson natives of the area, in land disputes, right? Um, even prior to the secularization decree, there's a case in the Carmel area where a rancher and future governor of California, Juan Bautista de Alvarado, Juan Bautista de Alvarado um, he applied for a land grant to receive acreage near what is today Big Sur. I don't know if you've ever, if you know about Big Sur, south of Monterey, beautiful stretch of coastline. Um, he had been ranching that area for years. Back into the 1820s, his, his cattle had been um, grazing on that land, and he wanted the situation officially sanctioned by the governor. Um, the Esalen Indians from the ex-mission, however, had laid a, public, laid a public claim to the land, saying it's our land. And so Father Real wrote a letter in June of 1834 on their behalf to Governor Figueroa. Figueroa had been on the, the ship with him. And he said, I pray to your honor in the name of all the neophytes, which was the name for Christian Indians, of the mission, not only that a property which they are daily claiming and to which they are entitled should not be taken from them, but imploring that justice with which your honor labors and endeavors to make them happy, they pray that the occupation of it be given up to them as soon as possible for the purpose of securing their own property. I make this known to your honor for the aforesaid purpose and reiterate my request in the name of these poor peoples who are degraded and without power to defend their property, that you would have the goodness to act in the matter with your characteristic zeal. So he's asked that instead of Alvarado being granted this land, that it go to the, to the Indians themselves. Uh, in October of 1834, Figueroa ruled and he gave the land to uh, Alvarado. Alvarado, who would soon become governor of Mexican California. Um, in fact, between 1835 and 1836, after the death, the sudden death of, of Governor Figueroa, um, there would be four interim governors of Mexican California. So you can see this is a, also a politically very unstable time. And Juan Bautista Alvarado would become the constitutional governor in 1836. So conditions at Carmel were tough, as you know, right? And since uh, he couldn't really live very well at Carmel, Real wound up um, moving into a house in the city of Monterey. And Monterey was the seat of the Alta California government. And his time there would involve him with events that would sort of foreshadow the eventual uh, U.S.-Mexico War. In late of 1840, Real was called to the house of a Mexican-Californian woman named Maria de Jesus Bernal, 
whose American husband, she had married an American, a trapper named Tomlinson, and he was on his deathbed and wanted the last rites. So uh, Real went to the house, and um, according to Real, Tomlinson, during his confession, uh, spoke of a plot by local Americans, a fellow named Isaac Graham, to throw off Mexican rule. This is 1840. And so he didn't want to break the seal of confession, uh, but, but he got Tomlinson's um, approval to alert the authorities. And so he wrote to his superiors and he said that according to this man, a revolution plotted by foreigners from North America in our territory, quote unquote, was about to happen. And they wanted to follow the Texas plan, right? So the idea was to, was to make California an independent republic like Texas had done which eventually Texas became part of the United States, as you know. Not only that, but he was convinced by something that the man said that he and the other Mexican friars there were in danger, that they planned to murder him. So um, Governor Alvarado took what the Padre said seriously and ordered all Graham and his men to be rounded up and sent to Mexico for trial along with any other foreigner who didn't have any good reason to be in the territory. Which is interesting because Alvarado had used Graham as a hired gun as sort of a mercenary, he and his men, during the times that he was uh, fighting against the Mexican governor of California. So the problem with that was that very soon these men um, were released. They were sent down to Mexico, and very soon thereafter they were released uh, through the intervention of the British consul there. And they came back to Monterey in 1841, quote, dressed very neatly, armed with rifles and swords, and looking in infinitely better condition than when they departed. So Father Real and the other Hispanic Californians of the area learned an important lesson at that point, which was, quote, that, and this is from uh, historian Luis Pujols, that the Mexican central government seemed less interested in protecting its northern provinces than in maintaining good international relationships with creditors and neighbors. And it was also sort of an embarrassing episode for Alvarado as well. So Father Real continues to serve this uncomfortable tenure in Monterey until 1844, for another few years when he receives word from his superiors that he'd be transferred north to Mission Santa Clara at the southern tip of the San Francisco Bay. 1844 had been a particularly difficult year in Monterey, with over 100 people succumbing to a smallpox epidemic. So we have political uh, intrigues going on, we have uh, poverty, and we have smallpox. So this is the situation that he finds himself in. Nevertheless, he didn't want to move from Monterey. He had grown attached to the, to the people there and to the life there, and he, he wasn't interested in moving up north to Santa Clara. In fact, he wrote to the then governor, Manuel Michel Torrena, who had replaced Alvarado, and he called his departure a forced march, quote unquote. Quote, I would not leave this church, he assured the governor in reference to his flock at Monterey, if obedience to my superiors did not call me to this new assignment. The governor, when he heard about this, wrote a letter to the bishop asking him to let Real stay in Monterey. And he praised 
Real's apostolic zeal. He said that he served with affability, promptness, careful attention in this city and jurisdiction without any income. Um, it was observed that he used in the church for divine worship what little he, he acquired without burdening anyone, unquote. But the bishop's reply was not very encouraging. He explained that he had assigned Father Real, who was a charitable and hardworking priest, to minister to the Pueblo of San Jose and the missions of Santa Clara, San Francisco, Mission San Jose, and at times to visit San Francisco Solano. San Francisco Solano is in Sonoma, which is about 90 miles north of Santa Clara. So he has, he has approximately a 200 mile, square mile radius that the bishop is asking him to cover. And in fact, the bishop said that in the past, four missionaries would have had this charge. That they could hardly perform the duty which is now, and they could hardly perform the duty which is now given to one, unquote. So Real took up, took up residence in Santa Clara in 1844. This is a picture of what it looked like in the 1870s when photography was being introduced. But it probably didn't look that much different. Um, and he arrived at a difficult time in Santa Clara as well. In November of that year, a group of local Californios, native-born Californians, under the leadership of Alvarado, ex-governor uh, ex Alvarado, and his close friend Jose Castro, who was the military, a lieutenant colonel in the territorial militia, staged a revolt against the Mexican governor, the uh, governor Michel Torrena, who had been sent from Mexico. Right? The two armies squared off 12 miles south of the Pueblo of San Jose at the end of November, and the governor eventually returned to Mexico. And Pio Pico, um, California's last Mexican governor, man from Los Angeles, assumed the interim governorship. In the meantime, Castro and Alvarado garrisoned their troops in Santa Clara at the mission. And this was an especially humiliating episode for poor Father Real. He wrote a long letter um, to his superiors complaining about it. But he basically said, you know, um, I hosted them, and they carried away the sheets, blankets, spreads, and left only the mattresses. And then he goes on to say about how in November they consumed this many head of cattle, skinned 25 cows in the corral, and left these unfortunate Indians without even the aid of the milk which they used to have. And there was and no grain. And then in December, this many head of cattle took three horses. Then they took 10 more, 40 horses by January and three mares. They robbed the cowboys of the horses and also carried away their saddles, bridles, spurs, shoes, blankets, and hats. And when he says cowboys, he's referring to the Indians, right? Because the Indians were the cowboys, the vaqueros of the mission. Um, they stole 22... Now, this is very interesting about the mission itself and how important music was. They stole 22 suits of fine red cloth worn by the music band of the mission. Right? They also took away the keys from the one in charge, opened the storeroom, and ransacked it at their pleasure. So he goes on and on. In short, um, he said, he, he, he wrote to his superiors and he said, this is an odious burden. Not only, uh, he, he offered to give up charge of the mission. He said, not only does it mean having to wear yourself out, but to make the Indians who still work there 
labor for interests which, though their own, they cannot enjoy. Realist's heart and state of mind was not unique to him in, in, in his situation, though. Bishop Garcia wrote a letter the following year to Mexican Minister of External Relations, to the Mexican Minister of External Relations, and he lamented the fact that the entire clergy of my diocese is today reduced to some discontented men who long to leave, others who are too old and weak for the ministry, and the remaining few who, for all their struggles, cannot carry out their ministry in such a vast territory as punctually as I would wish. In November of 1845, Real's own brother, Antonio, departed to return to Mexico, leaving the remaining Franciscans stretched thinner than ever. In in February of 1846, Jose Real himself wrote to the bishop, uh, Garcia Diego, asking to be relieved from the ministry. Um, Though this wouldn't happen. He was needed in California. So by 1846, California was down to 11 Franciscans in Alta, California. Um, His brother, in fact, in the letter that he wrote, applying to leave to go back to Mexico, had said, if there are no Indians, there's no need for a priest either. For I'm commissioned to be a missionary, not a curate, not a pastor, not a parish priest, but I'm here to be a missionary. Um, So what they didn't know, or what they could not have known for sure, even if they intuited it, was that the whole Mexican territory of California was on the verge of topple, was on the verge of collapse at that time. In June of 1846, a group of American adventurers raised the bear flag in the Northern California Pueblo of Sonoma, right? There, that's the original uh, image of the original flag. Some people said it looks sort of like a pig, but uh, if you see the California flag today, it looks much more like a bear, right? But uh, this is an image of what the original, one of the original bear flags looked like. Um, so in June of 1846, the bear flag is raised in Sonoma, Um, Three weeks later, the U.S. Navy raises the American flag in Monterey and initiates the military occupation of California. There were some battles um, on California territory, but for the most part, um, the U.S. conquest of California was a pretty simple affair. Not long after this happened, articles began to appear in East Coast newspapers encouraging Americans to go out west and settle in California. Um, A large number of immigrants soon began to arrive. U.S. Army Colonel John C. Fremont counseled some he met near near Sutter's Ford out near Sacramento to head to the old mission Santa Clara, where they might, quote, take possession of the mission buildings. During the fall and winter of 1846, dozens of immigrant families took up residence in the mission granary buildings. As you can imagine, with no knowledge of Spanish and ignorant of Catholicism, most of these families Uh, and individuals were not very willing to adapt to their new surroundings. Now, Father Real did his best to accommodate them with the scarce resources available in what turned out to be a very wet winter in the Santa Clara Valley, like the one we're having, thank God. Um, He even allowed them to set up a school and, and have Protestant services in the mission. But his efforts yielded results that revealed the chasm between the Hispanic Californians and the new arrivals. On one particularly rainy day, 
ex-mission Indians at the behest of the Padre climbed onto the steep tile roof of the granary to try and stop leaks. Uh, the immigrants misinterpreted the effort as an attempt to force them to leave and halted the helpful endeavor by brandishing their guns. So with a state of war existing between the U.S. and Mexico, Real, as the pastor of the local Catholic community, Hispanic community, was um, looked on with quite a bit of suspicion. Uh, rumors went around saying that, that uh, he had told any uh, Californio that if they killed an American, they would receive absolution. Uh, and, uh, you know, indeed, a U.S. Navy detachment was sent to the mission, and they found guns uh, in the mission, and, and the lieutenant in charge um, severely berated Real and told him, you know, next time something like this happens, uh, you're going to be sorry. So Real went to Monterey and spent some time there until uh, things settled down. One thorny issue that came up was the issue of marriages, right, um, under occupation. During their time, uh, during the Mexican regime, uh, foreigners did come to California, namely Yankee or British uh, ships, either captains or seamen, that came aboard and decided they wanted to stay in this beautiful place, and they would often settle down there. They could receive Mexican citizenship if they converted to Catholicism, swore allegiance to Mexico. Oftentimes, they'd marry a local woman. Uh, so there were these families, these blended families there. Um, but with the influx, the massive influx of foreigners that began in 1846, and then only mushroomed at the, gold, at the time of the gold rush, the issue of marriage became a big problem. Um, and so we have a letter in June of 1847. First of all, you have... Uh, you have the issue of mixed marriages between uh, people of different religions, Catholic and Protestant, who were getting married without having it blessed in the Catholic Church, and that was a big problem. The bishop uh, was writing to both the Mexican governor before the occupation and after, and the American authorities. And Real writes a long letter to the local American alcalde of, of San Jose, uh, John Burton, who was a Yankee seaman who came to California, converted to Catholicism, married a local Mexican woman. But he had started performing civil marriages on um, local Hispanic settlers without church sanction. And so Real wrote a really angry letter to him, and he, he, wrote, he sent it all the way up the chain of command to the military um, governor, Mason, who eventually wound up writing a a decree saying that, no, until legislation is passed by the U.S. government, do not meddle in these sorts of things, right? Let's keep the populace um, happy, right? So by the end of 1847, without his original mission, living in occupied territory as a representative of an ethnic, religious, and linguistic now minority, Real's identity as a Franciscan and a missionary had shifted in the years since his arrival. Forced to fend for himself economically, he acquired shares in the New Almaden Quicksilver Mine near uh, San Jose, a uh, mercury mine. Uh, another Mexican immigrant who had come to California in the 1830s, Antonio Coronel, claimed to have run into Father Real in 1848 up on the San Joaquin River. According to uh, him, or according to Coronel, the friar, quote, had a fair amount of gold with him. 
He told us he was coming from the gold fields of Stanislaus, recently discovered and very rich in ore. So Father Real, according to witnesses, is now up panning for gold um, in the Sierra foothills. Real and the other Franciscans had also adapted, the Mexican Franciscans had adapted to the Rancho era's lifestyle, and his reputation as a horseman was well established. Lorenzo Asisara, an Indian who had known uh, Antonio del Real at the Santa Cruz mission, reported that both of the Suarez brothers rode very well, the Real brothers, and could play with a bull as best as, as, as would the best cowboy, unquote. Real's appreciation for the lifestyle of the California ranchos surely endeared him to the local Spanish-speaking population in the twilight of its heyday. Quote, um, I heard him spoken highly of as one who did much for the amusement of his people, said one American who visited Santa Clara in the summer of 1850, witnessing the August celebrations for the feast day of the mission's patron, St. Clair. Under the auspices of the Padre, quote, a portion of the plaza adjoining the church was enclosed by a strong fence and seats for the ladies were put up under the projecting roof of a house that now forms part of the college buildings and a series of bullfights was inaugurated, unquote. So in Silicon Valley, we had bullfights. So, and here I'm drawing to a conclusion. With the beginning of the 1850s, Hispanics in California were more aware than ever that a new era had begun. The war had ended in 1848, and in 1850, California was accepted as part of the United States of America. As David Weber, the great historian of the Southwest, so aptly put it, native-born Californians soon found themselves to be, quote, foreigners in their native land. The Catholic hierarchy also recognized this new reality. A new bishop, Joseph Sadok Alemani, had been appointed to oversee the Catholic Church in American California. Catholic Mexicans in the former Alta California now belonged to the Diocese of Monterey, and the new prelate, a Spaniard trained in the Dominican order, was bent on recuperating the church's position in the nascent American state of California. Among his first goals was to attract priests who were fluent in English, capable of ministering to the recently arrived Catholics, in many ways culturally different from their Hispanic co-religionists. So probably a lot of Irish, um, of people of Irish descent. Among these inhabitants, Real found himself more and more at the margins, both as a Mexican and as a Franciscan. One such newcomer, B.J. Reed, a layman who would later become one of the first instructors at Santa Clara College, where Bob and Rosemary teach, observed Real during Sunday Mass. Quote, the padre here is a Franciscan who seldom preaches, he wrote in January of 1851. Reed, who had recently arrived from the East Coast, expressed puzzlement that Real, quote, did not speak English at all. One of Alamini's first actions upon taking possession of his see was to request the help of the Jesuit fathers in ministering to the California flock. The Jesuits had been in uh, Oregon since 1844 operating Indian missions and were capable, had been very successful and were capable of ministering to a multilingual population. The Jesuit commitment to advanced education to higher ed made them receptive to Alamanese's idea of converting the old mission at Santa Clara into a college for educating the territory's young men. In 1851, in March of 1851, the bishop appointed Father John Nobili, S.J., a Jesuit permanent pastor of Santa Clara, and um, Father Real formally transferred the property of Mission Santa Clara to Father Nobili 
uh, that month, March 19th and 20th, the Feast of San Jose, of St. Joseph, in a reversal of what happened um, 100 years earlier, when the Jesuits had been expelled and the Franciscans took over their missions in the Americas. Although, according to one Jesuit historian, Real turned over the church in fair condition and reasonably well-equipped with church vessels, vestments, and ornaments for the altar service, the mission's new caretakers were not pleased with the condition of the property. Father Nobili writes, I found the state of affairs here anything but prosperous and encouraging. And he referred to the mission buildings he had inherited as an Algian stable. Right? So, um, and then he also accused no, um, Real of having sold off mission properties to his friends. Um, and not aware of the, the previous chaotic situation, you know, um, later they would write uh, in their accounts of the early days that but Real squandered the majority of the real estate of the parish. So for better or for worse, Real's time in Alta California had come to an end. Within the next two months, he departed Santa Clara for Mexico, and he arrived in Baja, California in June of 1851. He would eventually leave the Franciscan order and settle in the coastal city of Mazatlan. He would keep up correspondence with friends and acquaintances in California, but he would refer to it as, quote, a foreign country that I abhor and which I abandoned. So, just to conclude here, this group of Franciscans who came in 1833 were the last reinforcements to be sent from Mexico in the history of the Franciscan missionary endeavor in California. By the end of 1851, there were five Franciscan priests in the entire state of California. And they all, with the exception of one up near San Juan Bautista, they all resided in Santa Barbara. Not only had their numbers been reduced, but soon their historical legacy would take a blow. The Pope in 1852 approved the formation of a college to form native-born Franciscans in California, in Santa Barbara. But this began a controversy between, for reasons that there are too many to go into here, this began a controversy between them, the Franciscans in Santa Barbara, and um, Bishop Alamini's uh, successor, Bishop Amat, who became the Bishop of Monterey. Uh, the litigation, ecclesiastical litigation, went all the way to Rome, and letters were sent back and forth. And in these letters, many of them would accuse the Zacatecan, the Mexican Franciscans, and Jose Maria Suarez del Real in particular, of irregularities, unorthodox, and outright scandalous behavior. So the image that emerged of these friars recalls, if you've ever read um, Death Comes for the Archbishop by Willa Cather, there's that moment where the bishop runs across the local Mexican padre who has children, who's dressed like a Mexican charro, who, who's anything but exemplary. And so this is almost, I bet you Willa Cather probably read some of those accounts and, and patterned her description off of the, uh, the image of the Mexican Padres that, that was being formed at the time. In fact, Hubert Howe Bancroft, whom we spoke about, who Rosemary and Bob spoke about earlier, um, whose multi-volume history of California would set the stage for all subsequent studies of Hispanic California, defined the Mexican-born friars, quote, as black sheep, whose actions besmirched the reputation of the Spanish Padres whom he called a most excellent body of men. But he, once again, Bancroft's idea was that they were 
excellent men working in a flawed institution, but he felt that the Mexican padres were not excellent men. And although neither Bancroft nor subsequent historians have dedicated much attention to these men, they have been, by and large, characterized in that way. Now, whether their reputation is deserved, I hope that I've shown how mission secularization, combined with political instability, took a toll on the Franciscan missionary identity in Alta California, especially in the north, where the Zacatecan fathers had taken charge of several missions. These new arrivals found themselves disoriented, bereft of material support, and without the main thing that gave them their identity, as we said before, a mission and Indians to minister to. Nevertheless, they still did their best to advocate for their rights, for the Indians' rights, in whatever way they could. And later, as part of an, of an occupied territory, they became part of a misunderstood and marginalized ethnic, linguistic, and religious minority. Finally, even within the Catholic Church itself, they found themselves to be looked at as a superfluent or redundant body of people as the institution was reorganized to reflect and to minister to the new ethnic makeup of the state of California. So, history, when it has paid attention to these men, hasn't been very kind to them. But, and theirs perhaps isn't the heroic story that we may hear about others, but it's a human story. And in my opinion, nonetheless, nonetheless, it's worth telling. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.